There will be war and rumors of war. But the end is not yet, he said. If you go to Revelation chapter 6, I'm not going to ask you to turn there in your pew Bible. You can turn your pew Bible to Romans 13. That's where we're going to start here, 948. But if you were to go to Revelation chapter 6, while you turn to Romans 13, you would find the chapter on what is commonly called the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which if you've watched any movies ever, you know the apocalypse is the end of the world, right? Obviously. Um, well, this is where Hollywood has done us more than a few not favors. The apocalypse is not the end of the world. The apocalypse, St. John's Apocalypse, the word means to see what's really going on or to unveil, right? Like right now, you can't see me. Now there's an apocalypse, just like that, right? That's the word. Revelation, same word, right? St. John's Revelation just means to see what hadn't been seen before. And uh, in this revelation to see what he hasn't seen before, John sees lots of stuff, but he does see four horsemen. They're not the four horsemen of the end of the world. They're the four horsemen John sees right after we see Jesus is in charge of everything. He's in charge of everything. He's risen from the dead. He's breaking open the seals of the scroll that had divided man and God. Now we're back together again. And out of this scroll, where we with God are back together again, we see that God's in charge of war, famine, disease, and uh, what you might call greed. All the things that men do to each other, or that we experience because of what we do to each other. You might say disease is not man-made. I say, ah, are you sure these days? What do you listen to? Why do I bring this up? Because these four horsemen, disease, war, conquering, and struggle, travail, government that doesn't work, is normal in history. The thing about it, though, is while the government that's normal in history, no matter which one you have, doesn't work in terms of I'm down here and that's unjust and they don't care, that's normal, strangely, God still manages to curb us all through this into a better order than if everybody did whatever they wanted all the time. When that happens, people get cut in pieces. And I mean that. You should read Judges. It happens. Uh, So, war, rumors of wars, stories about the dangers, fears about far away. This is all normal. I was really proud of a couple guys who told me recently they don't watch the news or listen to the news anymore, really at all. I said, well, good for you. And they said, yeah. (laughs) It's like way easier. Life just got simple. And when they're not letting someone else with a different agenda manipulate how you feel about your fear of bad government. Now, what I want to teach today is what the Bible says we should do about all governments, good and bad. And wouldn't you know, it's not an easy checklist of one, two, now you're done, you can go out and live your life, not worry about it. Wouldn't you know, like everything else in the Bible, it's by grace through faith, which means through wisdom in the word of God. And so it's not so simple as just obey whatever king sends whatever sheriff to tell you to do whatever he says to do because he's got a seal on his shield. Because he tells you to kill your wife, you say no. He tells you to kill your babies, you say no. He tells you to kill your neighbor, you say no. And if he tries, you stop him. That's why you're there. Because the authority isn't only those who are above you, it's also those who are below you. There's two ways to abuse authority. One is to be a tyrant to those below. The other one is to refuse to protect the people below you from the tyranny. 
that you could stop if you just talk, maybe, or pray. Right. So it's not as easy as obey the government, although certainly recognize that the best days of our lives are when we are subject to a government that is in order. Peace will be in our streets. That's what Romans 13, Paul wants for the Christians who are in Rome who are going to be killed. People are going to die in Rome for this faith. Not in this generation, probably. But it does happen. Here we go. Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject. It's an interesting word. Let a wife be subject to her husband. What does Ephesians 5 tell us this means? It means obey him as if he were Jesus. But he makes bad decisions. Jesus don't care. But I don't feel that he's thinking of me. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus gave your husband to you to protect you from the world. And if you think it's your job to tell him what to do, you're going to suffer for it. And that's it right there. It's going to be your own curse. You'll bear it. You know, we'll watch. Submission is a matter of following. So when the government comes and says, follow us, we're supposed to say yes. We're also supposed to say where. Where shall I follow you to do the best job that I can do, to be the best citizen that I can be, right? And then the government's to give us good things to do. Because while it does say be subject to them, it says what their job is here too in a moment. It's going to say that if you resist them, you resist God. That's true. Those who resist will incur judgment. I just mentioned that, yeah. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. That's where we go, wait a minute. What happens when rulers are a terror to good conduct? What happens when they want to use the sword to stop you from doing what Christianity says you have to do because it's just true? Then you find yourself in a very interesting situation. You're still in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which says you don't have to take up arms, probably shouldn't take up arms. Not unless you're called by some other authority to do so. But what do you do if the country actually does divide into two competing authorities, both saying we're right? We're right, we're the authority. We're right, we're the authority. We're right, we're the authority, kill babies. We're right, we're the authority, don't kill babies. It's pretty easy, pick a side. Fight for the good, because your authority says to, but don't assume that everybody who says, I'm your authority, is. A little irony about this country we live in. The, the principle they taught me, it was founded on. I'm going to insist, everything I say about this country today, they taught me. I didn't make it up. They taught me in school. They brainwashed me with it. I pledge allegiance under, under the flag and all this. Um, the principle this was founded upon was that the government shouldn't be taking money from people without talking to them. Now, that hasn't been a principle in this country for a long time. I'm not saying that's what we have to get back to. But I am saying we've come a long way from there to we can kill babies, put their parts in a fridge, and sell them to you as drugs. And if not to you, to somebody. Again, you might be checking those labels these days a little more than you used to. You should. Uh, but all the same, uh, they're going to do this wicked thing, right? The principle of this country was not that. It was something very different. So as we approach the 4th of July, right, and we think about what it means to be subject to this government that is over us because we're supposed to be subject to this government, we want to remember then what this government is here to be and do. Because one of the most crazy things about all of the stuff that happened in 2020 was that most of the things we were told to do and did were told by people who didn't have the authority to say it. They just said they had the authority to say it. 
And we all said, oh, they're authorities. We should do it. And then we all did it because we're so used to not thinking. We're so used to following and trusting, which is not all bad, but it's bad when you're following and trusting evil. There's a clip from a movie where there's these two Nazis, and they're kind of doing guard duty at night. And one of them is like, hey, you know, I've been worried about something. Oh, what are you worried about? I, I, I've been worried, like, how do we know we're the good guys? And the joke's supposed to be like, oh, they're not the good guys. They're Nazis. Look at them. But, 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 America, when our tax dollars are being used to funnel pedophilia into the school system, to make it so that black and white people who used to be fine being neighbors together are now afraid of each other. Well, now it's time to question who's really in charge of this country and why and where. And it's time to remember that if you are an American citizen, this is a constituted country, not a kingdom. And so the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom to bear arms, freedom to pray, all of those are duties you have to do no matter what government official tells you to stop. Because that's our country. No matter what the TV says, or the mayor says, or someone thinks should be, it's actually constituted. And you were born, I was born into this with you. I didn't choose to pledge allegiance to this flag unto, under God, but I did a lot. They made me. And now I can't get it out of my head that it should be that way. And I'm convinced that the way it's that way is we believe that the Bill of Rights means something and that the Bill of Rights stands on something, and that's the right to live. So we have to at least begin praying for those who are being killed before they're born in this country. Again, if we want to really subject ourselves to good order. Yeah. So the goal in all of that is to show you it's not as simple as do what they say when they say it, but it is as simple as we prefer order to chaos. That is it. That's the wisdom. Order triumphs over chaos. Back to 13. Um, uh, would you fear the one who has authority? Then do good. And you'll receive his approval. Again, that's why if you, if you decide to foment a rebellion and fight back with guns against a federal government nation state, I mean, just expect to be punished. You know, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, and why do I say this? St. Paul, do I think anybody here is doing that? No. But do you know there are people doing that, right? Like there's Americans who like the flag, who would like people to stop doing wicked things to children, and they think the answer is, let's start a war. And they got podcasts and TV shows, all sorts of stuff. And most of the ones that are most famous, I don't even know if they believe it, but I know they're getting paid well. So again, who do you listen to and why? That's the real question. Yeah. The government is supposed to be God's servant for your good. Verse 4. If you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath as the wrongdoer. Okay, so what about when he's the wrongdoer? What about when he does evil? Here's the beauty of Christianity. You can know that God sometimes uses evil people to punish evil people. So if you've got a really bad government, he might punish them with a really bad government, but it'll be a different really bad government. Yeah. And what's even more amazing than this is the promise that while that wave comes and goes of bad beast eating bad beast, right? We just saw it in Daniel 7, right? These monsters come one after the other. Underneath all of that, the kingdom that really stands is just walking through with the waves on both sides, but dry ground before it. Ah, you know that story too, I hope. So... God's desire to punish the evildoer will not sleep. And if you're concerned that a mayor, a governor, president, a NGO, CEO, World Bank officer, or your own husband or brother 
If you're concerned that they're abusing their authority, your solution is not first to take up arms or words against them to tell them otherwise. Not if they're actually your authority. Your answer is to go to Jesus, who's their master, and start asking for him to change how they act so that you can have peace for those beneath you. Because again, if it's just about how you want it to be better, you're missing most of the point. If you just want there not to be drag queen story hour for the sake of you feeling better, you're missing the point. It's not about how I don't want them over there. It's about the kids, the actual kids who are going to be here after their parents are dead, living and acting in this country with us as citizens. Are we ready for eunuchs? Are we ready for that kind of barbarianism? Are we ready to subject ourselves to the good order by praying for good order? Yeah. Therefore, one must be subjection. Verse eight or verse six, it talks about taxes, and this is fairly important. You know, you pay taxes. They are ministers of God, attending to the very thing. You know what I pay taxes for? It's nothing I get. Not out here in the county, right? Most of my taxes, you know what it's for? It's for the school. And while some of the schools are still doing better, have you noticed? They took over the schools with their agenda that is anti-Christian from the start. And so I'm taxed for being a Christian in this country. That's what that means. I'm taxed for being a Christian. I get no benefit, but I pay because I'm a Christian for them to teach not Christianity to everybody else's kids. Do you understand that you're serfs yet? If you don't, ponder that one, pray on it, ask me. It's a pretty big statement I just made. It's not bad either. You're actually really well-paid serfs. Right? You're stuck to the land. You can't leave. You're indebted, right? right? It's the same way they taught it in school. They just, you thought it was different now. It's not. It's always like this. We should subject to them. We should seek the good of them. We want our rulers to be good people, even if they don't believe in Christ, which means we must then also learn to speak. Right? So let's look at also 1 Peter chapter 2, a place less looked at. It's going to say some of the same stuff, but has a little more of a personal touch to it. And I really want us to imbibe that that personal touch. How do we handle authorities that we don't want to handle, <laughs> right? Uh, this, is, this is a good little test case on this. Uh, it starts at verse 13 of chapter 2, where it says, be subject, same word. It's hupatasso in the Greek. People who don't like the use of that word for wives in Ephesians 5 and, and in 1 Peter 3, they go to like all kinds of backflips to mean, to say how it means like to be under somebody, but not really. And it's the weirdest thing to try to get rid of it. It's the word about what Jesus did to the Father on the cross. And if you need to be like, well, he didn't really submit to the Father, I think you've got issues. And so if you've got to say that about your husband, I don't really have to submit to him. I think you've got issues, biblical issues, right? If your husband thinks she has to submit to me, I tell her what to do whenever I feel like it. He's got issues too. So this issue is not about how we're all free to do what we want. It's how if we don't use the order we've been given well, we hurt everybody else. And if we try to rebel against the order God made, we hurt everybody else. Build your ark. Who's in your life? Who's your boss? Who's your husband? Who's your wife? Who's your child? Yeah. Learn from Peter here. Subject yourselves to every human institution for the Lord's sake. You're not obeying men. You're obeying Jesus. Yeah. You're obeying Jesus. And not only, he says, to the good and gentle, 
but also to the unjust. Now, again, this is when the injustice is to you. I pay my taxes. I complained about it, but I'm going to pay them. I'm not going to stop. It's unjust, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because Jesus asked me to. It's his money anyway. He can give and take it whenever he feels like it. Right? So, so I'll do that. Um, but that doesn't mean I have to accept it as a good thing, that I have to be silent, that I can't tell the authority they're wrong, that I can't bring them information about better science or anything like that. Nowhere does it say that the authority of the government is a religious priesthood that you must obey as if it were magically true and always right. It doesn't say that at all. Yeah. Um, uh, going on, uh, oh, I, I did skip a little, didn't I? Rest of verse 13. To the emperor, to governors who punish evil and praise those who do good. You see again, what is the desire of government from God's point of view is to punish evil and to lift up what is good. That's why they should build roads because that lifts up what is good, right? That's why they should make laws against evil things like rape. Now, I said that. I'm not going to say it again. If you heard it, you heard it. Tell your kids at home when they ask. Because you know the law in the United States was death until like the 60s. It was death. Now it's not even... I mean, they let them out without trial and stuff, right? I'm seeing how that happens now. What a place to live. What danger are we in? We want to, again, be subject to and support those who do good. We want to pray for those who do good. And those who do evil, we want to pray they're replaced by those who do good. For this is, verse 15, the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You're not free to be evil. You don't get to respond in kind. That guy shouting at them the way they were shouting at us at that event on Monday night. Again, that's not what we're supposed to do. And you don't even have to be a Christian to understand the value of this. Civil disobedience. I mean, we all got this in school, right? Martin Luther King Jr. understood the power of civil disobedience. Gandhi understood the power of civil disobedience. They both got it from Jesus. It wasn't the gospel, but it was the fact that if you just don't move, you're way more impactful than if you try to fight as a group, especially as a group. I mean, if you've got to fight, you need more than them. If you just don't move, you only need to be Rosa Parks. And I'm not saying the media didn't pick that up and play that story for its own reasons way back then. I don't know. But what I know is that civil disobedience works. And we've got to remember that one quick as a people. Live, verse 16, as people who are free. I love that. You're free. You're not keeping the law because you have to. You see the difference between good and evil, and you're not going to do evil anymore. And so the law says, do good. Go this speed. If you don't, you'll go off the curve and crash. Well, then I'll follow that law. It's wise, right? This other law says, do this wicked thing. No, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Yeah. Live as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up from evil, but living as servants of God. And then this great line, I don't like the translation here, but you know, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the, the king. It says emperor there, but I like king. So first off is, as a Christian, okay, I'm living in this world. It's filled with evil governments, evil men doing evil things for themselves, but God is my king. What should I do? I should respect everybody. You know what I did after I told that man that he well, asked him about Jesus and they got other people to intervene with that man? The next thing that I did was I turned around and I faced this pile of people who had dropped their rainbow flag and were looking over it now. They're back to me. And I said to them, 
I apologize for what that man said to you. You have no need to be disrespected like that. They were like, I just turned back around and didn't try. Honor everyone. Why is the right to life important? Because life is dignified. It's touched by the fingerprints of God. And no matter who the human is that you're looking at, they are an image of God broken and paid for to be restored in the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so even if they're screaming bloody profanities at you and calling you all manner of things, for Christ's sake, rejoice and be glad. Yours is the kingdom. And you're standing firm. That's why they shout. They're bothered. They want you to be silenced. You just stay where you are. All right. Now, let's see if we can tackle, with our last 30 minutes here, 25 minutes, the pictures of this that we then get in this really like glorious and yet powerfully terrifying apocalyptic imagery of Revelation and Daniel. And we're going to start in Revelation and then work our way back to Daniel. So if you would go to page 1035 in your pew Bible, you're going to see on page 1035, chapter 13, it'll say above it, the first beast. On the right-hand column, you'll see another section says the second beast. And if you skew back a little bit, verse chapter 12, uh, you'll see the woman and the dragon. Now, hopefully that part rings a bell because we looked at that last week just as a run-up for this. Because what happens from this point forward in the story is the devil becomes uh, one of these... I even went, let's see if I can find it. I looked up the word so I could say it. Maybe I don't have it anymore. Um, oh, there it is. Yeah. He becomes like one of these Russian nesting dolls. You seen these? Like a wooden doll that has no arms, but like it opens. And there's another one inside that's smaller and it comes out. And then there's, it opens and another one comes out. Okay. So this is what the dragon's going to do. He's not going to go, brah, and now it's going to come a beast. It's going to go, brah, and now it's going to come a beast. It's going to go, brah, it's going to come a prophet. Let's go, brah, that's going to become a statue that talks. Let's go, brah, that's going to become three frogs. I mean, just, brrr. the devil's like, put it on masks. Um, if you enjoy Marvel, timeline, Captain America, it's, it's a really great image, Hydra. Hydra. Or if you like the Matrix, Agent Smith's pretty good. That's the devil, Agent Smith. Um, I'm not going to explain that for those of you who haven't seen the movies, but if you've seen the movies, you know what I meant, okay? That's what's going on here. Uh, and the, the Hydra, the Agent Smith of the machines, uh, they are definitely serving the wickedness that is behind the order of the age. They're both stories about how the order of the age has been surreptitiously taken away from those who began it and is being used as a story to suppress those very people. Why would they make movies about that, I wonder? Strange, don't you think? Dreams of our days. So that's what's going to happen here, though, is the devil is going to continually show himself taking more and more ground. We're not going to read through all of them. We saw the dragon last week as the, the primal or even the primeval example. Ancient ideas about the first false god, Tiamat, is that she is a dragon at the bottom of the sea. Uh, Job calls her Leviathan, right? So this primeval dragon that was in the garden and led to our fall, Now, John sees his fight against the woman who has fled to the wilderness because her son has ascended to the heavens. He fights against her with a flood. It's going to look like, well, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. 
right? He opens his mouth, there's a flood, and then out of the sea, there's this beast with 10 horns, seven heads, diadems. Did you, you picked up on how that overlaps with Daniel's beast, I hope. Did you see the things that were different, right? So uh, both of them have 10 horns, but in Revelation, suddenly he's got seven heads. And then three horns in the back part, you know, they became one horn. That doesn't happen quite here, right? So this is because rather than this being like a physics or a chemistry problem where you need precise numbers and you got to do all your critical error stuff at the end of it to make sure it was perfectly right for science, right? we're not working that way. This is poetry. This is prophecy. This is literature. Uh, this is preaching. And so all he's doing is saying, you saw it before, now see it here again. And I'm going to add a piece because that new piece is even more important. That's the secret message I want you to get, right? So the thing that he's got 10 heads before Jesus, or no, sorry, 10 horns before Jesus comes, but now seven heads on the other side of Jesus coming. Before Jesus came, he had complete power, but now that power has been given a different number. And if you know anything about numbers in the Bible, you know seven's not the devil's number. That's like the final number before eight. Like that's the rest number. That's what this says is that as much as his 10 heads are barking, or 10 horns are fighting, his seven heads are completely collapsed. They're under control. He doesn't have nearly as much authority as he says he has. That's this beast right off the bat. Now, so that we can get to the second beast and into Daniel, I'm just going to recap what we heard read a little bit ago. Um, by kind of summarizing how this beast is terribly dreadful. He's made up of a bunch of different beasts, right? And they're all those ones from before. So it's, it's a chimera, right? It's, it's, a, it's a lion, leopard, bear, dragon. You know, and, and lions and leopards and bears, these, are, these aren't cows. Right? Uh, they're terrifying animals. Um, and uh, so... The mortal wound, verse 3, we can see as the taking away of his authority by Christ on the cross. But remember that it was also read just a few moments ago that he gives some of that authority back, right? So the spirit of this age doesn't look entirely different from the way it did before Christ because Christ still lets him do things for the sake of showing that the sword is not as powerful as the word. I think that really is the game. All the way along, the devil's trying to use the sword to stop the word, and God's just like, just watch, just watch. You get down to five people, still going to make it. That's the story over and over again. The world, though, they worship this dragon. They listen to the blasphemous words that he, that he makes. Verse 7, he makes war on the saints and conquers them. There's that idea I just mentioned, right? So it's always going to look like, or it's often going to look like, the church is just on the verge of collapse. And you're like, yeah, pastor, in the 1700s, like we had people in charge of everything. I guarantee you, if you got into the upper rooms, it was Christians arguing against unbelievers for the life of the world and what would happen next. And there were unbelievers in those institutions using them for their belly and sowing the seeds of destruction, which we actually are reaping now because the battle got lost at some point. At some point at Harvard University, they stopped teaching the Bible was true because it was founded to teach the Bible's true. That's why they started it. At some point they stopped, and now it's skull and bones, and I don't know, whatever WEF stuff you want to be afraid of. Uh, well, uh, they're allowed to make war on us and conquer us. They are, to show that they can't, that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Authority, every tribe and people and all this, let him who has an ear hear. This is pretty key. Whenever it says, let him who has an ear hear, what it means is, like, did you notice? Did you pay attention? Did anything in you go, wait a minute? Well, then rejoice. You heard it. 
right? If you were like, wait, what? Was there a reading going on? Oh, you didn't hear that then, did you? That's not a good sign. I get it. We check out sometimes, right? But when it says he was near, let him hear, you want to be like, what did it just say? And if you did, then good, good. If not, then ask that you would. I haven't done this for a while. Everybody repeat after me. Jesus, give us wisdom. There you go. He answers that prayer. He answers that prayer. All right. After that, have an ear, let him hear, go backward, go forward. This is a reference to an Old Testament passage. Uh, Daniel or Ezekiel, I can't recall. Footnotes probably will tell you. Uh, it says, if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he will be slain. This is to say that if Jesus has it as his ultimate plan, that your life is the adventure you get to live, where you end up being killed by a bullet on the streets of Rockford unexpectedly, well then, that's what Jesus is going to do to glorify his name. And the only thing that can be different is whether or not you get to see it coming and say, hallelujah, right before it hits you. I think that sounds like way better than any board game or video game I've ever played. All the fear that I have to become a person who wants to stand up to it in the name of Jesus Christ and knows that over time he's going to make that happen against an age that increasingly looks like it might kill a guy like me. Hallelujah. Bring it on. And that's the way it changes too, by the way, whether they kill one of us or whether people just hear us sing and they go, wow, what's that? That kind of courage, that kind of hope comes only from accepting that if God decided that you're going to be a slave because China conquers us and they take all our women because they don't have any wives. I'm making this one up. I don't think anyone thinks this. They take all our women because they don't have any wives. That's actually true. Um, and then we all get shipped off to slave labor in the mines of, of lithium in Africa to get make uh, you know uh, batteries for their electric cars. Um, and we're all there, us all together, still there in the mines. You know what we should do? Let's sing the Gloria. Let's sing the Magnificat. You got it memorized yet? I do. You got any psalms deep in your heart that can't take away? I, I heard about a guy once who was formerly a prisoner in Siberia. You've heard of Russia, I'm sure. They tell you it's a bad place. It's an interesting place. Siberia is cold. Siberia is the part of Russia where a lot of people went so they wouldn't have to listen to the Russian government. This happens all the way through history. Uh, they, 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 in Siberia, they also have places where they put political prisoners from the communist takeover of Russia, which is a bloody and disgusting history that they don't teach you in school enough about. I heard a story about a guy who was let out after the 80s, after you know, Gorbachev and Wall come down. This guy's a political prisoner. He finally gets let out. He becomes an American citizen. He's somewhere in his 70s or 80s. I know nothing else except for that. He immediately began to and then completed memorizing the Psalter. And the reason was because if he ever went back, he didn't want to be alone. Now, I don't think we have to think it's going to get there. The whole point is, if it's going to get there, Jesus puts you there. The day that anyone shows up on your front door to do evil to you, you are there to convert them to believe in that Jesus has risen from the dead by your words and your behaviors. And maybe that means disarming them. Maybe it does. Yeah, maybe it doesn't. Let's do Daniel here for a little bit more. Uh, last, last words on that page. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Go back sometime and look at Revelation one, and see what John calls himself a brother of you in. John is your brother in the something. And then make a note, uh, Revelation 13, 10. We'll link up with that. Uh, Daniel 
7, then, is going to be way, way back on page 744. And Daniel's like, you know, the prototype for Revelation. That's not, maybe not the best way to say it. Daniel doesn't have the same obvious structural organization that Revelation does, but they deal with similar content. It's very clear that John is quoting Isaiah, and John is quoting Zechariah, and John is quoting Amos, and John, he's, he's pulling from everywhere throughout it. And if you don't know, well, then you don't know, right? Um, Daniel's not so much doing that. Daniel's pretty new to this apocalyptic style. Like a lot of the stuff written before Daniel is like, is like Chronicles and Kings, you know, it's Annals of History, or the Psalms. But Daniel comes along, and with a couple of other prophets near the end, Zechariah, to be particular, um, and Ezekiel, he has these visions that, that show him what God really sees. And again, so these beasts that we've been talking about, the one out of the earth, the one out of the sea, ultimately these are authorities as God really sees them, and they are terribly beastly. Uh, we're gonna, we, we heard it read I want to talk about the text, verses 9 and following, but let me summarize then. He sees these beasts, and they have both natural and supernatural attributes about them. I think they largely tell you uh, the story of history in brief, and I think most preachers would have agreed with that you know, before 100 years ago. That without question, the first beast, which is this lion with some wings, is Babylon. The country of Nebuchadnezzar, it, it rules everywhere. It destroys Jerusalem. It takes Daniel to its city as a captive. That's why he's there. Um, when Nebuchadnezzar makes a, has a dream of a statue, which is the same kind of thing, the beasts line up with a statue, this lion with wings is the golden head. It really is, in God's sight, the greatest empire there ever was after Solomon's. Uh, and uh, th there it is. It also, uh, ancient Babylon, a lion with wings. There are statues there today of lions with wings. You can go see pictures. I don't know if you can get into Iraq today. But you, you could go to Iraq and uh, see the lions with wings there, the statues. So it's very clear that's Babylon. What does it mean that he stood up on his legs and was given the mind of a man? I think that's about the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, which is another story you hear. He loses his mind because he will not repent. And then he eats grass like a cow. Right? And then he repents and he's restored as the mind of a man. And so I think we'll see Nebuchadnezzar on the day of resurrection. I think that's what that means when it says that there. The next beast comes along, though, right away, right? And it's this bear. It's on its side. I don't even know. That's kind of weird. It's on its side. And then I can't, I can see three ribs in its mouth, but I just think that is probably not what you see. <laughs> like, how do you do that? It's ribs in my mouth. What does it mean? Well, it's, it's an animal capable of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with a lion. And in history, it does. In history, the next great emperor to arise that had three great emperors named Cyrus, Darius, and Xerxes is the Persian Empire. And it did devour much. It not only conquered Babylon, but started going west as well. Uh, and so for a time, several hundred years, uh, you have this bear going everywhere and, you know, getting into fights with the Greeks. And you got great Homeric tales about that kind of stuff. But the Greeks, well, see, the, the bear goes to Greece and it like pokes this leopard in the eye, basically, is what happens. That's the story of the 300 at Thermopylae. And you go a little while later, and we've talked about this this year. Philip of Macedon has a son named Alexander. There's some maybe conspiracy. He dies suddenly. His son's in charge. His wife's a little crazy, but they take over the planet. 
the leopard just comes flying on these four wings out of nowhere. Macedonia was nowhere. It was Rockford, Illinois to the ancient world. How they did this? Well, it is because they managed to unite a bunch of other people that had honed their skills fighting against Persia. They got them to fight with them, and it, it worked out really well. So that Alexander doesn't just go on his own. He's got like 19 or 25 super solid, what would be five-star generals with their own armies and troops going with him. But of them, only four of them end up with empires after Alexander dies, and that's your four wings and your seat of authority that's given to this leopard, right? Uh, and then you have this final beast, gross and disgusting. How do you even define it? It's an aberration. It's abhorrence. It's not cute. It's not manga, right? Uh, it's wicked. And it rises up, and it just devours and stomps and trashes everything. And this is Rome, the Roman Empire, which well, is the greatest civilization the West has ever seen. They built roads, they built autodocs, we have Roman law. Golly, we can barely talk about ideas without Plato. He's Greek, but he's effectively a Roman thinker. The Romans thought like him. He taught them to think. So historically, even when we talk about right now, oh my goodness, civilization's collapsing. What's collapsing? Rome. Rome. The last beast, which we saw a moment ago in Revelation, right? Jesus comes, he rises, and there's still this beast. It's got defanged a little bit, but it looks like all the rest of them, and it's still trying to conquer the world, and it has power to kill Christians. It had that power here as well, particularly this nasty beast is the authority that will put Jesus to death. So see that in this, this beast arising here. That is Pontius Pilate. Just Pontius Pilate? No, no, no. Remember the nesting dolls. He's just an administrator of a greater bureaucracy, who's just an administrator of a greater tyranny, who does, in fact, believe he's God and thinks everybody else should think he's God too. And as long as you'll pay taxes, it's okay. Right? That's the world of this beast. Jesus comes, he dies, he rises, he strips it of its power over you, but he leaves it in a power over them for a short time. Yeah. Because what's the plan? Yeah, let's go to verse 9 again. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. So the world looks like it's falling apart, but God's got a giant chair he's sitting on, and in his most ancient personification, he's just hanging out there, watching it. You'll get different images in the Bible of the sea before him on his throne. In Ezekiel, we'll go there next week, actually. In Ezekiel, the sea is raging. It's all out of control. That's before Christ. After Christ in Revelation, the sea is still as glass. There's still chaos underneath, but it's still as glass. The abyss has been pushed down, right? And it's been crushed. So the Ancient of Days sits before even the chaos, and he just isn't moved. I'm going to shift and tell you, we, we may take an extra minute today. This is a great way of looking at it, though. If you've ever read J.R.R. Tolkien's The Silmarillion, you're probably not going <laughs> to. It's like reading Shakespeare. The opening story is a creation narrative. It's very simple. God starts a choir. God starts a choir. He makes some angels. They sing. And then this one angel, he decides he's going to do it different. He starts singing his own song. He stands up. And, and God, when he's sitting on his throne and this angel stands up, you know what God does? Did you see it? It's kind of far away. I'm going to do it at the camera. Huh? He just smirks. He's like, oh, that's kind of cute. You can do your own thing, are you? And just like that, the devil, what's the devil, is singing harmony to everybody else. 
He's not trying to. He doesn't want to. But when it's all said and done, he was just singing harmony. He didn't even know it. That reality before the ancient of days, as he's clothed with white snow, his hair pure wool, we see that this is Jesus in Revelation. He's taken that. His throne is fiery flames. His wheels burning with fire. We get to look at God's throne in Ezekiel next week. You know what God's throne has? Wheels. Do you have have wheels on your chair? I don't have wheels on my chair. I have wheels on my desk, but not on my chair. Um, And that's weird, right? But wheels. And not just any wheels. Wheels of fire. And you'll love it next week, guys. It's got rims. There's rims on the wheels. Rims made of fire and rainbows. It's super cool. Right here, it's just wheels of fire. And then, like, it shoots out the front, you know, just for show. It's kind of like a rock concert, right? Um, it's amazing, right? Stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And then, it's like a concert. Thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. That'd be 100,000. Not really even that much. But, you know, numerically... The Bible isn't so concerned with adding up jots and tittles so much as the big picture. And when you take 10 times 10 and get 100, that's like perfect forever. So now we're at 10,000 times 10,000, right? Like there's, he's really like using imagery, extra overdoing it hyperbole because of how dull we are. That we're like, oh, it's only 100, that must be small, right? As opposed to like, that's the perfect round number. Um, 10,000 times 10,000, just a bigger version of 100. They're all before him. Right? And then the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Remember, where were we a moment ago? The chaos of the Roman Empire being the everlasting global tyranny, always trying to conquer the world and killing Christians as they go. And now we're suddenly at judgment day. And there's going to be a bunch of books opened. And court is going to be in session. And and let me try to paint this one for you as valuable as I can. I want you to imagine, see if I can do this. I want you to imagine right now that we're not alone. And it's not just the angels. I want you to imagine that on Judgment Day, we get to watch all of this happen again, along with everybody else. See, the Catholics are half right. When they're like, Mary, hear us. Right. Mary is going to hear on, on Judgment Day. So I pray to Jesus now, myself. <laughs> right? But I think about what I say differently. And you're all going to hear it again. And this goes two ways. This can be like, oh my goodness, what have I said? But it can also be, oh, what could I say? Because when you've got a giant crowd shouting at you and you can't hear, it's a lot better to know on the last day it's going to be a song when we see that one again. That was going to be an epic moment you know, with special score written behind it. Yeah. That's your life every day. That's your tongue every day. It's a battle. It's a battle. But it's already won. Right? Jesus won that battle for you. Books are opened. We're going to be judged based on what is written in the books, it says. Yeah. And then he looks and what's, what's the point of this judgment? Right? I looked because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. The devil, as soon as judgment comes, what's he do? He shouts, he screams, he wails, he throws a fit, he crawls on the ground. He acts like a stinking baby, a flaming baby, a fiery, dying, hell-bent baby. Immature, whiny, tyranny, give me my way. What's wrong with America? Too many babies. Not enough men. That's what's wrong with America. And we're just like the devil, our father, who taught us to throw a fit and whine every time it doesn't go easy for us. 
And so judgment day, the devil's going to go into the fire screaming, screaming, it says, right? And I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, given over to be burned with fire, right? You protest all you want, devil. It's just noise now. As for the rest of the beasts, right? So the power of government in history, their dominion was taken away. That is, they don't really have charge of you anymore, but their lives are prolonged for a season in time. They're going to say they do. And you're supposed to pretend like they are for the sake of the order of your neighborhood, right? That's submit to your authorities. Now, let's keep going though. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days. So I said a moment ago, it's the end of time, the devil being thrown into fire, but it's also the ascension of Jesus Christ. What's the power by which the devil is thrown into fire? What's the ascension of Jesus Christ? He approaches the ancient of days. He says, that guy over there no longer has power over here than I do. And God's like, yep, you're right. Amazing moment here. And so it, it's before Judgment Day and Judgment Day all at once for you to see that there is no future. Follow me on this one. The rest of your life, there will only be right now. Future will always be a story that's not right now. Now, I don't mean Sunday morning at church, right? I mean the way you experience it will always be right now. And the future will always be a story. And you have the power to choose to live right now rather than the stories because of this reality. Uh, because you know that the beast no longer has dominion over you, but Jesus does. And then you can tell yourself that story against their story and it will always prove stronger. It will always be light in the darkness. It will always be salt in the wound, which might hurt, but it's going to clean too. Jesus goes up, ascended to the ancient of days, presents himself. He's given dominion, glory, kingdom. We pray it. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen, right? And it shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed, one that is not of this earth, but it is you. It is us. We are the kingdom. My goal today has been to give you a big fire hose of exciting, cool stories from the Bible that also give us some semblance of what it means to be Christians, subjecting ourselves to human government in an age when human government isn't always good, but in which we believe that submission to authorities is good and that the line between that really calls for wisdom. I've also built for us a little module to put in the side corner of our ark and this module is called eschatology. It's not a type of theology you memorize. It's an understanding about where we are. That we're in the end of the world every day. Every night when you go to night, go to sleep, it's the end of the world. And tomorrow morning is the resurrection. And if you wake up and it hasn't fully happened yet, it'll happen tomorrow or the next day. Because it's going to happen. So you might as well live like it's already happened. What are you doing hoarding up wealth in the last days? What good is that? Yeah. Instead, look around. There's so much good to be done in Rockford, Illinois. There are so many people who are lonely and hurting. There are so many people who believe all these other stories, and that's all they know. I know you get scared. I'm not asking you not to get scared. I'm asking you to be calm for the people who are scared and to believe that that will change your world and to believe that that's why God baptized you. It's why he called you by name. It's why he says you're his. It's why you can believe he's not going to leave you or forsake you. It's because he's got bigger stuff for you to do than worry about whether he likes you. <laughs> he needs you to submit to your authority in godliness.
and godliness. So again, we've spread the stories. We've built the model of the end of the world. Finally, I hope I have given you some hope for the United States of America. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, I used to sing. I don't sing it so easily anymore. But again, I, I know this. I know the country they told me I lived in. I really would like to live in. Maybe it was just a dream. But I'm going to keep acting like my religion's not a dream and that my religion does the stuff they were dreaming about. In the name of Jesus. Amen.